whether it's real estate, whether it's business, whether whatever it is, if you're not passionate about it, and if you are not hell bent on like, you know, this is what gets you up in the morning, this is what's exciting to you, you're not gonna be successful. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue gems, gotta show you the way. Cause we talk finance and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate. JB dropping blue gems, AG dropping blue gems, new podcast, baby, tune in, we in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Yo, we're back again. Oh, so excited to have you on, man. Thanks for having me, My guys. Man, Appreciate Steven. you. Appreciate you guys. Let's go, bro. So like, uh, we like to start off the, the podcast just like diving in deep into your story, how you got started, what are you up to, all that good stuff. So chime us on in. All right, so I guess full transparency, full disclosure, I'm, I'm not yet a property owner, but um, you know, I'm to the point in, I guess, my investing career where uh, probably the next six months or so, probably before that, um, I'll be in the real estate club. So um, spent a lot of time self-educating, made a couple of pretty big life decisions here over the last few months that I guess we'll dive into. Let, let's dive deep a little bit of like, um, you know, you said you made some life changes. Like, what's that looking like? What, what are those life changes? Yeah, so so I guess I guess uh, the best way to kind of give you guys some good context of, of where, I'm at, where I'm at right now is give a little background on my story. So, so I'm a licensed pharmacist. Um, I'm a drug dealer certified. Hey. My, my mom's very proud of that. <laughs> let's go. Um, and uh, went to school, kind of subscribed a lot of a lot to what they tell you. You know, go to school, get educated, get good grades, get a high-paying job, and then enter the rat race. To quote, you know, Robert <laughs> right. Kiyosaki. But um, uh, was uh, making my way up a corporate ladder. Worked for a company that I don't want to disclose on here, just because sure. of NDAs and all that good stuff. But um, in a pretty high-level corporate position, working um, in the pharmaceutical industry, and pretty much positioned for, I would assume, the corporate level stratosphere, um, you know, uh, constantly getting recruited and um, accolades for my work, pretty much in uh, process management, streamlining efficiencies, reducing costs, all that stuff. Um, and uh, pretty healthy salary, doing pretty good, well, well, well into the six figures and absolutely miserable. So um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit about my story. Um, got introduced through a real estate agent over here in Orlando, told me about Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's about three years ago. The wheels kept clicking and just kept educating, educating, educating. And three months ago, that's it. I, I stepped down from my corporate position. I am now a part-time staff pharmacist. So you, so I work nice. a few days a week. That's awesome. Um, so people at the community, uh, I'm, I'm there filling your, your drugs and all your narcotic needs. So <laughs> if you need me, come see me. <laughs> Love it, man. That's awesome. So you stepping down, does that have a lot to do with what you're trying to get into in terms of real estate? Yeah, so so I've been trying to juggle a bunch of different things. And I think a lot of what people who go after that American dream from the corporate side don't get and understand is, yeah, you might make a lot of money, you know, and you might look at your gross pay and say, hey, this is awesome. You know, I'm getting $7,000 every week or whatever, whatever that number is. But it's blood money you know, you don't get that money for, for nothing. You're always on call and you're a slave to an organization. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing 
for people if that's what you know people want to do good for them but but for me um you know that that money came with a cost and i just got to the point where i wasn't willing to pay the cost anymore for for that type of money yeah i think that's the hardest making the jump making that jump right because i mean like aiden's in that situation where right i'll let you talk about it but yeah so i'm deep in the w2 i'm an accountant um Oh man, same, I, we can do business together in the future, same, man. I've been looking uh, for a good accountant. He's 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 dope. For so sure. similar thing to you. Not going to disclose my company for obvious reasons, but you know, at a future date, maybe when I'm when I leave, I'll I'll hop back on here and, and tell the full story. But essentially, I'm working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, depending on the time of the month. You know, during month end, we're we're really heavy in our processes. But I say all that because I'm in a position where I've learned from pretty much the same story as you, rich dad, poor dad, that I don't know where I'm going to end up in 15 years if I keep going down this rabbit hole, right? Because you can move up the corporate ladder and then what happens when, you know, something changes in your life, you have, you know, an emergency, you need to exit that position. The reality is, is that no one's really going to care about you. The corporation's going to keep moving on. They're going to replace you in probably two to three days, post your, post your job application. And then what? So my strategy has shifted completely from employee to owning, owning assets, owning equity in in a company, building something of myself so that one day when I want to exit it and not be involved in the day-to-day, I have something to show for it. And so that was my whole thought process, probably similar to yours and why I want to eventually get out. <laughs> yeah, man. And and I'll tell you, it was, it was scary. Um, I have a wife. I got a little one. She's ten months old. Uh, her name's Adriana. So Adriana, Lovely. if you if you can understand this when they post or publish this, uh, Daddy loves you. <laughs> I love that. But uh, but it was scary, man. It was really scary. And um, I think just that mental barrier and that block probably took me about three months to get over because oh, I knew yeah. I was gonna I knew I was gonna jump ship. Right. But you know, without anything under management right now. It was a little bit more difficult, I think, internally for me to for me to kind of battle through. But, but I did it, and I'm I'm so happy I did. I ha- I literally have not been happier in my entire life. Love hearing that, man. So, like, walk us through the process. Like, obviously, you, you said three months, but I'm sure you had these thoughts a long time. Did you have to reach a number in the bank? Did you Did your wife have to be a certain area of her life? Like, what What was the deciding factors? Yeah. So. So I guess it, I guess the real answer to that question is, you know, there was a couple. It was kind of like right time, right position, right right opportunity, right chance. You know, so I'm in I'm in my late twenties, my last year in my twenties, thirtieth birthday. From what I hear, it's all downhill from there. So JB, sorry, <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> you know, we had always lived well below our means, um, stocked away a lot of cash, and sort of subscribing a lot to what they tell you, which is, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, life insurance, all that stuff. So from a financial perspective, we're at a point where if, you know, it all goes upside down or lack of a better word, if the shit hits the fan, right. I probably could still recover. Right. So um, it was just sort of assessing where we're at and getting the full unconditional support of my family, um, my wife, my in-laws, my mom, my brother, everybody. And um, just, just, just kind of, just kind of knowing that, Anything worth anything is worth going for. So I'm going to go for it. And it took me a little while to get to it. And, you know, I'm a little bit in a different position than most people, I think, because I do have a professional degree to fall back on. So worst case scenario, you know, I, I could always fall back to my pharmacy degree. But uh, but it was tough. It's definitely tough. A lot of people say that. Like, I think it's a funny thing. They're like, what happens if it doesn't work out? Then I'm like, well, I'll go back to a job like everyone else. Yep. You know, I mean, I didn't lose my skill set. Yeah. I just pivoted to a different right. field. 
Yeah, you're right? still so, employable. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'll go yeah. and apply for a new job. It's really yeah. not that big of a deal. I think right. people feel like you're you're doing this like do or don't. Like that's all you have. But yeah. that's a good point. You can always go back. Definitely. Yeah. So it sounds like having your family support was like one of the key deciding factors. Like, so with their support, what do they think that you're giving all this up for? Like, what avenue do they yeah. they see you approaching? So, so I'll take a step back and then you know. Really quick to say, so in addition to me working my 65, 70 hours a week corporate position, I was also working on trying to source off-market deals for mobile home parks, which is the, the real estate space I'm interested in, um, networking, uh, you know, following up with people in a timely manner, you know, not letting emails go for months on end, because when that happens, no one takes you seriously. Right. And uh, managing a newborn, managing my relationship with my wife, managing my personal time, it just got too much, way, way, way too much. So my family, um, you know, they know that I'm giving up that, I guess, quote unquote, high figure corporate job salary to have a better work life balance. But now my work is just shifted to working for myself as opposed to working for, you know, a corporation or whatever that is. So um, I'm investing in myself so that my family can benefit in the long run. Nice, nice. Yeah, that, that's huge to have that support and yeah. the trust in you like, hey, he's going to figure it out, whatever avenue he takes. Yeah. You've already crushed it in life, you know. So I, some may say, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A lot of people always tell me I'm never happy, but I, I don't know. I I, yeah. I follow my passions. Yeah, yeah, my passions are taking me here now. So that's awesome, man. So, so where do you want to be? Like yeah. next six months, next twelve months? You know, what what are your goals? So next six months, um, I plan on being a uh, mobile home park owner in the state of Florida, and the next twelve months, just doing what everyone else kind of says that they do, which is get comfortable with it and then have that confidence to go ahead and pull the trigger on other assets because you kind of get through the, the uh, um, I don't know if it's the fear stage, but like the fear of the first deal or the hurdle of the first deal. Yeah. So six months. They say the first one's the hardest. Right? Yep. 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 So acquire one and, and then boom, boom, boom. I'm not, I'm not this thousand lot type of guy. I just, you know, I want to buy things that make sense and hit my returns. Now, can you walk us through what would make sense? Like how do you underwrite a mobile home park deal for those that are unfamiliar? Yeah, so so mobile home parks are are um, they're a little what would I say they're a little bit more complicated or less complicated than people make them out to be. So there's two businesses in a mobile home park. There is the renting of the actual mobile home, and then there's the renting of the actual land that the mobile home sits on. So when you underwrite a deal for a mobile home park, it depends what your business model is. Some investors or people I've networked with, they love renting the home and renting the land. So how they'll underwrite a deal is a lot differently than I, how I'll underwrite a deal. So pretty much what I look for when I underwrite a deal is uh, how many units are there? What's the average lot rent that the residents are currently paying? And then simple math equa equation, if there's 10 lots, each lot pays $100 a month. We multiply those two numbers together, figure in an expense ratio, and the expense ratios vary based upon the size of the park, the utilities it's on, the age of the, whatever it is, gives you an NOI. And then you have a pretty good deal if you've been looking at the market for long enough, like what a good cap rate would be. Right. Um, and then I know the cap rate I need to get in to get my spread between my interest rate um, and all that good stuff. So so if uh, if it passes that first round, then it will get into my, let's look into this further. If not, it's just, it's a numbers game. You got to be efficient. You got to get through them and you got to find the ones that, that work for you. So we have the revenue with the lot rent, but what are the expenses associated with that to get your NOI? Because you're not really paying any maintenance fees or anything like that, right? 
So it so it depends. So most communities, the 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 communities that everybody's after right now, because I know that we were talking before that Brandon Turner has made mobile home parks like, you know super sexy. Everybody wants to talk about that, yeah, right? Um, and, and and they are, and they are. That's why I, that's why I like them. My my grandma actually lives in a mobile home park, um, a very very nice one, like institutional grade, like you know fifty five plus all that stuff. But the expenses for um, mobile home parks really come from the park owned homes and uh, like the taxes associated with the real estate that they're on, the utilities mm -hmm. and stuff. So if you if if you're looking for that ideal tenant owned home, beautiful community, it's pretty hard to find. Most of the deals you're going to find are going to be park owned homes, and park owned homes. These some of them are 70s, 80s <laughs> models, trailers. They uh, they require a lot of expenses. The windows break, you know, the roof is leaking or whatever. So a lot of your gross income is going towards fixing a lot of the issues with those park-owned homes. Right. Now, ideally, if you were to exit out of those park-owned homes and make it a now all-tenant-owned community, your expenses come from pretty much taxes, utilities, depending if they're private or public, and then maintenance and repair costs, and that's it. So it's a relatively low-cost investment vehicle as long as you can execute that um, that strategy, which is my strategy I'm after. So you pay all utilities, like even electric or the tenant pays some? Does it, it depend on the park? It depends on the park. And the goal is to have the tenant pay the utilities like you would in any multifamily property. But most of these mobile home parks that were developed, they were developed in like the 70s or, or 80s. They're on old infrastructure, which is well water and septic tanks. Right. So to maintain those, there's a lot of hidden costs in those that I don't think a lot of people who hear about the sexy mobile home park things like really take into consideration, but you have, a, you have a park with 20 units on it and they're all sharing maybe one or two septic tanks and those septic tanks fail. One, you have an environmental issue and two, that's like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 to replace that thing. That could set you back five years. So yeah, for sure. No, it's funny because we, uh, I think our last, was it the, our last episode? Our last episode we were talking about septic tanks. Yeah, <laughs> like we got into it pretty heavy actually. <laughs> so, That's why I'm laughing because yeah. we went deep into it. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, no, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, but are any of them on public sewer though to get away from septic? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, there's, there, they are on, on public, there are a bunch of mobile home parks that are on public sewer and city water. Um, you're going to pay a lower cap rate for those type of deals because that's what everybody wants. But there, the caveat with with public utilities that I don't think a lot of people understand is um, public utilities are only as good as the infrastructure that that those utilities were built with. So if you've got like city water and it's direct bill to your tenants, and you got a massive leak before the meter, the park still has to pay that. So you could be you could be spilling five to ten thousand dollars a year in cash because you got right. terrible pipes or whatever. Same so, thing with a sewer line, like same in a thing, multifamily. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. People forget that even if you don't have septic, you can still have that big repair bill. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I underwrite them. Um, and then uh, based upon like sort of the debt service and the debt structure that I know I can get, um, I got my target cash on cash returns that I'm after. I, I like to see an IRR that aligns with my personal investment goals. And, you know, if, if those two criteria meet, and with the, with the deal I'm looking at, then move on to the next step. Let's get on site. Let's 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 meet the owner. Let's talk about their dogs or whatever is going to make them trust mm -hmm. me as a person and, and let them know I'm serious about buying their property, but too, I care about their residents. So how do you finance them? You talked about debt service, but are you getting a commercial loan? Or are you getting pre-approved? Or, or how do you let people know that you're a serious buyer? So I guess, I guess the, I guess that question is like <laughs> anything, you know, it, 
it really depends upon what's the motivations of the seller. Mm-hmm. So I've dealt with some sellers that don't want to talk to me unless I provide them proof of funds. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, proof of funds can be as fluid as, you know, here's the balance of my 401k or whatever, you know. So some sellers want that. Other sellers um, want a pre-approval letter from the bank, which, I mean, if you've gone to closing before, you know those pre-approval letters are worthless right. because they could fall apart at the last minute. Yeah. Right. Um, but traditional lending um, is, is, is typically what these parks are, are financed with. Now, it's very, very tricky to get financing on these parks because it's there's not a lot of banks that are going to lend at a mobile home park, especially the ones I'm probably looking at. So dialing for dollars is really what you got to do. Um, once you get a deal, just pretty quick, put in the address in Google, find all those banks around there. And you know, there's been deals. I've, I've called maybe 35, 40 banks, got one that commits, send them all my financials, and then they drive by the park and back out. So, oh, wow. yeah, so it, but it's, but this is leverage because you bring that to the seller and you say, Hey, I got this bank who said that they won't finance it because your books are terrible and like the roads are horrendous or whatever that looks like. Um, and then you can hopefully negotiate some sweet seller financing terms. There you go. Yeah. I would imagine that most investors are locking these up seller finance, right? Yep. So the, the ones that I'm looking at, um, most sell, most buyers would prefer seller carry on on these sort of deals um but the lending market at least in my experience has, has has gotten a lot better for mobile home parks so now you're seeing some ltvs of like 25 30 percent 20 oh, wow. 20 year m 25 year m like five seven year balloon which which should be enough time enough runway to either exit if whatever your investment goals are or or refi into maybe some more stable long-term debt so there is long-term debt that's out there for mobile home parks but it depends on the park right yep definitely Interesting. So after the first one, you're just going to continue to buy more parks or are you going to try to diversify? What's your goal? Yeah. So, so my goal right now really is capital multiplication. So I'm really looking to use the money that I've saved after slaving my life away for, you know, five years or so (laughs) and, uh, and put that to work for me. And the way that I'm looking to multiply that capital is through quasi heavy lift mobile home parks, which is pretty much what we spoke about before, um, improving the quality of the park, investing heavily into capital expenditures, rows, utilities. Um, a unique strategy is taking a park that's on private utilities and converting it to city utilities because you get a cap rate compression on the exit because now that's a more attractive product to like an investor or whatever. Um, so once I once I uh, understand and, and make sure I can run it run run that business successfully. Um, you know, create like a sort of series of standard operating procedures that needs to fo- that 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 uh, for people to follow. It's it's going to be pretty much. I'd like to just focus on acquisitions, prove the concept with the first one, and then put these things under contract, buy them, and then sort of manage what I was doing in my corporate position, like manage the managers who manage the parks. That's my forte. That's my skill set. So, love that man. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- that's a lot more exciting than what you were doing, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and uh, and I get to build a culture that I want. You know what I mean? I don't have to don't have to listen to, you know, the culture that uh, that you know I maybe I may or may not agree with. And sure, I didn't disclose the company, so right, whoever, right. whoever knows me, you know what I'm talking about. But. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, I want to pivot just a little bit. So, mainly, what got you into this position was work-life balance so you have beautiful wife you have a daughter you said yep 10 year 10 months 10 months old, old huh? 
any more kids in in uh, yeah. the future or what? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I want four. My wife wants three, but uh, you know, hopefully, we'll wind up with seven. So okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. What what kind of got me going in this direction was like I, again, you know, I come from relatively blue collar roots. My dad was a New York City police officer. My mom was a uh, stay at home mom. And like I like I you know like I said, I I kind of had achieved that corporate level success American dream. Um, and then just through self-educating, cause I'm just a very curious person. I just love to know things. Started reading about like, you know, um, how money works and the way that I kind of viewed this was if I can understand from a molecular and chemical level, how a drug is going to keep somebody alive and like what the <laughs> signal cascade is down to like, you know, a secondary messenger or whatever, how can I not understand how money works? You know, right, like right. we've made money. We didn't make the human body and like all this other stuff. So That's sort of like, point. I guess, a little arrogant of me to think, well, I can understand money. <laughs> but I started understanding money and like going into it. And I, and I quickly realized like what I was doing, which is what everyone else told me to do, is a scam in my opinion, you know, I, and not to say that that's wrong. If that's your investment style or investment strategy, then, then go for it. But just seeing the other side, um, I kind of felt like there's a different way and there's a better way. So, so, so that's sort of what really got me down this real estate hole and, you know, all this, um, all this investing mobile home park, septics and sewers sort of thing. So how important is financial education, right? Cause you're saying that you're, you felt like you were very educated in, high level medical field and mm. things that other people couldn't do. But then from the finance side, you're like, wait, maybe I need to hone in on my skills here. I would say secondary to language, financial education, education is probably the most important thing in life because we all use money. But we don't teach it often. We so why, like, why is it taboo, right? Why, why is it that we don't talk about money and talk about how to achieve a greater financial position, maybe build wealth? Why is that? <sighs> You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to take this into like a political discussion or whatever. <laughs> but if you want, going. but That's if you want to go, if you want to go down that road, no, go ahead. All right, let it rip. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that a lot of people have have given making money a bad name. You know, if you have money, if you're rich, you're evil. You know, because we've kind of, and again, we've the educational system, and I'm a victim of it, has is, is kind of been developed and designed as a way to, you know make you think that just enough is okay and you should be okay with whatever just enough is for you. And if you want and you want to achieve more, then you're an evil person for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I've personally, you know, there's people who would look at me right now and say that I'm very well off. And I take a look at the same position of myself and say, well, I don't think I am. And then when I tell those people, hey, this is what I'm doing, I'm going for real estate, they look at me like, you already have enough. Like, why are you doing that? You know, like, mm -hmm. you're, you're crazy. But yeah. I think it's just a societal and, and social thing, and it's it's sort of not cool to be, I guess, at a at a higher level. I, I, guess, I, I wonder if we can change it. I, th I think one thing I'm seeing right now, curious on your your opinions, but like the hate that landlords are getting, I've noticed like increasingly as as pricing starts to get out of control. Like if you go on a Facebook group for like apartments, like the amount of people who are complaining about the greed for corporations and yeah. landlords and we're seeing kind of a shift where people are like starting to really think about like what what those people are doing and and I don't know if it's a lack of education or where the disconnect is but there should be a happy medium on like educating people on the fact that they could be owning homes themselves and they can be putting themselves in a better position and they don't have to always blame someone else right I mean is it is it like the very upper class people that are 
lobbying for that education not to be present to the public. It could be, right? It could be right. that like we don't, we're kind of creating two classes, right? Yeah, like why would we want to share these secrets to success or, yeah. or, or wealth, right? Um, I think a lot of it also too is actually built within the financial system. So like, again, I told you guys before, maybe it was my own personal arrogance that made me think I can understand money. But a lot of like the vocabulary and financial terms and like derivatives and equity splits and promotes or whatever, that's kind of designed to intimidate um, people, in my mm -hmm. opinion, right. make you think you're not smart enough to talk money. Therefore, I don't know, hey, you know, this, 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 sign this document, you're going to, I'm going to take 3% of your money every quarter for the next 30 years. If it goes up, great. If it's not, who cares? Take it back, you know? And then you're right. sitting on the other side, you're like, I don't want to ask a question because I don't want them to think I'm stupid because, sure. you know, so. That's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Just deter them from entry, right? Yep. Definitely. Uh, create that barrier. Real estate is almost like that in a way. Yeah. I feel like people overcomplicate, you know, getting a real estate deal. You know, Definitely. Think about it. It's really not that difficult, right? Yeah. Talking about doing a single family home where you have one tenant and one rental income and you have your fixed expenses. I mean, yeah. how difficult really it is to do. It's easier for me to get married. Or no, actually I lied. It was easier for me to buy my home than it was for me to get married yeah. in terms <laughs> right. of like what I needed to provide is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Especially with an agent. I yep. mean, maybe yeah. an off-market deal is a little bit difficult, right? Yeah, Navigating yeah, definitely, that. Definitely. But I mean, with an agent, buying a turnkey so easy. property on market? So easy. Yeah, and you, mm. you always tell the story of like, when you bring up house hacking to individuals and they're yeah. just like, wait, what People is this? Mind blown. Like how? <laughs> right, I don't right. understand. You're crazy, bro. You You're shouldn't crazy. do that. That's, yeah. that's so way I, out of your league. So I got in by house hacking, right? I bought a duplex. I lived in one side. And then when I went to tell people like what I was doing, everyone was like, this guy's like, he's an idiot. Like he's crazy. Yeah. But like I was living for free. I was building equity. That house has since appreciated a hundred and $20,000 or something. how to be a landlord. Yeah, right, learning, learning. I have training wheels. Oh, no, man, kind you of were doing it all wrong. What are you talking about? Right, yeah. right. But, <laughs> but it's weird because I was telling him, I'm like, I have like two sets of people. Like one person is like, yo, teach me how, like tomorrow. Mm. The other person's like running away. Like I don't want to be associated with that guy. There's no like middle. No middle ground of like maybe someone could be convinced. They're just very against it. Interesting. Or, you know, that's a good point you bring up and, and, and maybe I can shed some light on that because, because you know, there's a lot of intern. So, so, so what I've, what I realized on this journey here is, you know, real estate is not something sexy that, you know, you don't drive off in the sunset in a Ferrari after your first deal, you know, right. this, that's who, if, if people are thinking that's what real estate is, then you're in real estate for the wrong. That's reasons. what the gurus tell them. Yeah, oh, definitely. Give me five, give me ten thousand right. dollars. I'll have you drive a Ferrari. Right, right, right. There you go. <laughs> They're driving the Ferrari. Right, your money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not doing any real estate deal. <laughs> <laughs> right, just right. Selling this course. They're just selling a course. Yeah, right. exactly. But I, but I think what it really comes down to is, you know, someone's, someone's mental toughness and ability to believe in themselves and kind of fight through adversity, because I'll be the first person to tell you guys and the audience or whatever that this is a grind. And there's a lot of really bad days that I have just from a mental standpoint, like, you know, I don't have a deal yet. I've been looking, I've putting all this energy in, I'm not making traction. And to have that mental fortitude to kind of, to kind of continue on and go forward and do it is, 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 is tough. Um, that was the mindset I had when I was in pharmacy school and, um, you know, I did very well in school and I kind of felt like that was a great experience in my life because it taught me sort of like the arrogant way I can teach, I can learn, teach money. Like, you know, I'm, I know I can do this. It's just a matter of, I got to be around long enough to do it. And, and I've done it before. So right. it's just that mental toughness. Yeah. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Definitely. You know, it, it definitely hits home for me. Yeah. You know, like whatever avenue you're trying to, uh, you know, reach or, or strive to uh, attain, that mental fortitude is the only thing that's going to get you there, that's it, right? 
what's between your ears that makes you successful or not. And you define what that success is. So maybe those people that are running the other way, success to them is not success to you. So, right. Good point. So like talking about mental fortitude, just a little bit, like generally um, successful people like yourself has some quasi type of, quasi <laughs> <laughs> has some type of like uh, morning ritual or mm. like, you know, meditation or journaling or what walk me through or walk us through a normal day when you were employed or at the W2 full-time throttle, right? And now what it looks like. And then a third one of how you want it to look like. All right. That's a, I mean, that's a great question. Um, all right. So let's start in the past, how, how, my, how my day would start. So get up around 5, 5.30, shower, cry in the shower. <laughs> get, my, get my coffee, get my coffee, get in the car, listen to podcasts on the way to car, obviously, right, right. obviously uh, in my car, obviously like real estate podcasts or whatever, go to work, grind it out, hopefully get home, get to work around eight, maybe seven thirty eight. hopefully get home between six thirty seven, And then my phone was, was, was blowing up for whatever reason, you know, the house is on fire. Who, who knows? Right. Whenever you leave work, that's when it all starts. That's when it all goes to shit. For like, is this Monday work. through Friday or Monday through Friday? Okay. Yep. Um, but that was just Monday through Friday commuting to the office because Saturdays and Sundays, it doesn't stop. So like that was how my life was. Um, so moving forward now, since it's been about four months since I've stepped down, um, I don't have a morning ritual yet. I don't journal. I don't do any of that stuff. But one of the most difficult things for me, and one thing I, I think another strength that I have is I'm very self-aware and I'm like the first person to admit what I'm doing wrong. So you know, one of the things I was really nervous about stepping down is now with all this free time, am I going to go like, you know, and just sleep on the couch or eat potato chips or whatever. Play video games. Play right? video games. <laughs> Who knows? You know what I mean? Right. But, um, but I, but I quickly, I quickly got in front of that before it became a habit. So now what my, uh, day looks like is every Saturday morning without fail after me, my wife and I have coffee, I sit down for about an hour and I plan out my week pretty much to the hour, like what time I'm getting up. Um, what am I going to do from here to here? You know, when am I going to have family time or whatever? And I follow that schedule. I don't always do it to the T, but at least it gives me some accountability for myself that, that I, that I, that I can stick to, um, you know, and then I guess down the road, what is, what does my ideal life look like? Um, my, my ideal life probably looks a lot like the same it is right now. Um, I love a schedule. I love getting up on time and, and sort of seizing the day, whether it's me working in, in, in business or, or whatever that is. But, um, I guess if I get to this utopia that is in my mind, what it looks like would just be the ability for my family to experience things that I was never afforded the opportunity to experience and me to actually participate in that with them. Cause that's the most important thing to me. And, and that's my why that's what drives me. All seven of those kids, right? Well, maybe 10. We don't know now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Utopia, who knows? Yeah. Right. You're saying in pharmacy, that would never happen. Like you would, you, you might have, have right? you might have the financial capability to do so, but never the time. Yeah, it would be, be your present. wife and the ten kids. That's and right. Would be at work, right? I'd be the richest dead guy by the time I was done. <laughs> right. And I know, I know a lot of pharmacists who are very wealthy who, um, you know, they get to that point in their career and they can't walk or whatever because life, you know, life. We all get old or whatever, and people get, get it's just up to you. It's just up to you. So, so that's not what I want. I have a random curiosity question. Shoot. What do a bunch of pharmacists do on like a weekend? <laughs> do you guys, do you do the normal thing of just like hopping into a bar? Are you guys watching, you know, yeah. sports games? Like, what, what are you, you playing chess? Like, what, what's going on? I mean, it, 
I mean, so I guess it depends. I mean, there's there pharmacists are, you know, they're like, you know, all, all different types of people. There's different types of pharmacists. You know, sure, there, there's sure. those quirky people who, you know, they want to, I, I don't know, do origami on the weekends. But, you know, there's also people that like football and like whatever. Um, Just regular guys. Yeah, regular, regular guys. People, right? Regular people, you know, yeah. where, I mean, maybe some of them cook meth. I don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> who, who knows? But, you know. Yeah, they're just regular people. That'd be a good show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pharmacists cooking yeah. meth and yeah. yeah, the new Breaking Bad. It's very easy to do. I'm just saying. So maybe when we get off air, I'll, I'll give you some tricks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Guys, we might have to pay for this course. <laughs> 10,000? Yeah, that's 10,000. We're the gurus. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> have you had, um, have you have you heard of any horror stories going, talking about meth, like in the mobile home parks? Was there anything? Oh, that, yeah. We haven't really talked about the tenant class there. Yeah. Because like, how does that look to you? Are you worried at all, or yeah? So, so I mean, let me use an example from a deal I was I was hoping to to get across the finish line here over in Lakeland. So, found this property in Lakeland, off market, um, ten units, all park owned homes. Um, and the thing I liked about this deal was it was city water, public streets, so I wouldn't have to pay for the streets. I had septic tanks, but whatever, who cares? At least I can only pay for one private utility as opposed to the other. Um, I like the homes and, and, and what I like to do when I underwrite these deals is a little, maybe a little bit more high level, but I like to use the sales price of these park owned homes as a way to reduce my cost basis into that deal. So pretend we bought that home from, we bought that property for a million bucks, which would never spend a million dollars. So that's crazy. But let's say what for a million bucks and I was able to sell each home for $50,000. My actual all in cash purchase of the lot rent alone is 500 grand. Mm. So I, I really liked that deal. I thought it was super sexy. I did my thing. I dialed for dollars. I found two banks. Um, both of them were like, yeah, Steve, we'll give you a loan. Oh, pharmacist. Oh, we love pharmacists. You know, <laughs> you want to sign recourse? Oh, yeah, definitely. So one of the banks, actually both banks, drove by the park. And one of them gave me a call and was like, hey, Steve, look, um, we drove by it. We know the area really well. We think we saw a drug deal outside um, and a prostitute. You know, we're out. And Dang. I was like, like, that's actually damn. what they said. So, uh, yep. Uh, true story is what they said. Wow. And I was like, oh, all right, we have anything in foreclosure <laughs> because like, you know, I'm trying to buy. Right. So, um, I guess, you know, does that scare me? No, because that's where the value is. You know, it scares the banks though, it's, which is the challenge probably. Yeah. But this is why you're getting a good deal though, right? Exactly. Like, like go in and, and freshen everything up. Exactly. And with anything else, you know, you got to understand people and people's motivations and what's important to them. So when I see properties like that, that've got drug dealers or whatever in there, is it more mental headache? Absolutely. Um, but the real root cause of those issues is mismanagement. Most of the time, the people who are actually overseeing that property, they don't care. They get a hundred bucks a month where like they could be getting 500. They're like, whatever, I don't want to do the effort. And so they let that riffraff come in. So, for me, that doesn't really scare me too much because, um, not to say that I was a I was an axe man at my corporate job, but you know I know I I know when you've got the wrong person in the wrong seat and what yeah. needs to be done to make the individual successful, and sometimes those individuals can't be successful, so they make themselves either exit the company or transition into a different position. Um, so. It's, it's like anything else. You develop a policy, you develop a procedure, and you just you always go to the policy and procedure. You manage your business through policies and procedures that then will dictate how you want that vision of your business to, to look like. So that's a little bit of, you know, 
and I think that's something a lot of people overlook. They, they don't they don't realize the day to day of what's what what in what it is entailed to to run a mobile home park. Like you got to have right. you got to have that you got to have like that vision, and you got to make sure your policies are, are are geared towards executing that. So you would have moved forward with a deal, assuming the bank was on board. Um, so that one, that one, that one, the seller was a bit of a pain in my ass, to be honest. <laughs> he was, he wanted all cash. And I, the issue with that one was it was too much of my capital tied up for too long and too, too, for too long of a time where my opportunity cost to sink them out that amount of money in a deal that small, it, it, it wasn't worth it. Sense, yeah. yeah. It didn't make sense. So, um, I still hit, hit him up every now and then and say, Hey, you know, Take a hundred grand off. I'll buy it right now. <laughs> but I mean, eventually he'll sell to whether it's me or someone else, and you know, it doesn't really matter. But at the time, it it's not right for me right now. I think I think a lot of those fundamentals and intangibles that you just spoke about could go across any type of business, hundred percent life in general. Yep. Right. You know. Um, so uh, I think again, you keep resonating with the audience, man. I, I really enjoy this this uh, conversation. It's yeah. been I'm having a good Amazing. time too. It's, it's fun. Sure. Any hobbies? Yes. I know you've been busy. Yes. You know, but like, is there anything in the back of your mind? You've been like, dude, I've been wanting to do this. <laughs> when I step down, I'm going snowboarding, son, or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so I love cars. Like, okay. I love cars. Not, I don't like European cars or anything like that, even though I drive a Volkswagen as my daily. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm in the process right now of restoring a 2002 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am WS6. Um, it was a car I wanted since I was like 16 years old. That's so cool. Yeah, like the last of the breed and uh, found a great deal, barn finds um, over in Lakeland. I wound up getting it for what I thought was a steal. And then now I'm like so upside down on the car. It makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> but working on that and, and and wrenching with that is a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I love, I love cars. So I guess in my dream life, I'll have a bunch of muscle cars. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And a lot of mobile home parks. And a lot of mobile home parks. That's right. Good combo there. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm always curious because my wife and I are business partners as well, right? We're both in real estate and it's amazing. I, I love it. She's a rock star. She's definitely the backbone of the business. Yeah. I would be lost without her. Like I wouldn't be able to do 90% of same, work, right? Same. So is, is your wife interested in real estate? If she, is she involved in real estate? Is, uh, is she going to be involved if she's not in some capacity? Yeah, so so my wife is the biggest support system that I've got. So my wife and I have been together um, for a long time. We started dating when we were in, we were in high school, okay. and uh, she's been with me through like a lot of the good and a lot of the bad. And yep. there was times where there's a lot more bad than good, but um, she is 100 percent my my support system. And when I started this journey, um, I know how important it is to have your partner, your wife or spouse or whoever that is on board and, and you know sort of aligns because if you're not seeing eye to eye with your person that you spend the most time with then you're not going to be successful in my opinion because they can't relate with you and they're not going to um you know maybe listen to or provide just some gold nuggets of value when you're going through a rough day like i told you guys before like mentally so when i when i first started going through this process i made it a point that like i wanted to make sure that she knew and understood the money that i was learning about so we would have coffee in the morning and I would explain to her about like, you know, compounding interest or whatever it is. And she would just look at me and roll my eyes or whatever, you know, <laughs> now we get into a point where I'm looking at a deal and she's like, well, what's the cash on cash? You know? And I'm like, well, she's like, we ain't buying that. I'm like, that's right. We ain't buying it. So that's awesome. But, man. um, but yeah, so, so right now, um, 
my wife handles a lot of the stuff at home, the home front, like taking care of the little one and giving me the time and flexibility because I have a very, very heavy, intense marketing campaign we're running right now and putting a lot of time and energy into that. So she gives me the ability to focus on that. Um, I guess down the road, once we start getting some of these things and I start getting more focused on acquisitions, I want her to know how to run these parks and do the position that I envision myself doing because, you know, God forbid if I die or whatever, she needs to know how to continue running the business because that's, that's our livelihood and I don't want anybody to, you know, kind of get one over on her. So yeah. slowly transition her into the operational side of things. Awesome. How long did it take you think to get her from not knowing about yeah. compounding interest to cash oh, on cash yeah. How many coffee <laughs> yeah. Yeah. did you have? Oh my God, I'm bankrupt from Starbucks now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I would say it probably, probably the better part of like two and a half, three years. Wow. Yeah, two and a half, three years. But, you know, and I'm not saying that, um, you know, it was like a gender thing or whatever, but she was like, I don't know. I just take my money and invest it. And I was like, well, no, why are you doing that? You know? Right. So I kind of like, as I started to show her just like through, like examples of stuff, I think she started to become more curious and then those conversations got more um, in depth and then she started to actually get value from them. But she has conversations with her mom and dad now and she's like, yeah, Steve found this deal and it's a 25 year M and you know, he thinks he can really, you know, and they're like, what? value add. They're like, what? what is Who's our daughter? <laughs> right. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that marketing campaign, we, we drifted over. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Yes. So I just want to know. Right. I want to talk about that because oh, yeah. um, we have probably newbies that are going to go on market. And then we have a whole separate group that are going to go for off market deals, do their own marketing. Yep. You know, the market's so hot right now. Margins are slim. If you go off market, you could probably, you know, be in a better position. So what are you doing right now to find deals? So, so first thing that I want to just kind of call out the elephant in the room or whatever it is. Everyone says that you can't find a good deal right now. That's total BS. You can. You just got to be willing to do the work and do it. And majority of people aren't willing to do it. And I think to bring things back to the conversation we had earlier, I think that's why people give money a bad name because people mm -hmm. aren't willing to put that effort in to do it because it's hard. But so my marketing is driven, focused on, I know what my criteria are and I'm not going to buy something unless it meets that criteria. So the way that I do my marketing is is, is, is kind of multi-pronged. So I do a direct mail marketing campaign where every 30 days, the same leads that I've generated, they get a flower from me no matter what. So sort of like, um, you know, habitually getting those owners to know, oh, it's January 1st, Steve's going to send me another letter, you know? <laughs> and, and I think with me, a lot of it is really understanding who the target seller I'm, I'm trying to identify and market to. So a lot of these mobile home park owners, you know, they're in their later years and they grew up with these parks and they have relationships with the tenants and there's more emotional connection to this asset to them as opposed to like an investor. So my marketing is heavily focused on trying to resonate with those type of people. And um, in addition to sending those flyers out, we followed that up with a cold call campaign using like a cadence calling system, you know, three dials, two dials, one dial, and they don't pick up. We just keep bugging them. But essentially the only thing I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to get on site and I'm trying just to meet the seller. I, I don't want to talk price. I don't want to talk money. If they respond back to me, it's a park I know I want. So if they're calling me, I just want to get in front of their face, kind of resonate with them and just understand their motivations. And um, just from my experience in corporate America or whatever, you know, if you understand someone's motivations, you, you can get what you want out of that person. It just might take a little bit longer. So 
Um, there's a couple of people that I spend, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours with on the phone. I've done that for like the last few months and their park's not for sale yet. But when it does come for sale, I'm hoping I'm the first person they call because they've gotten to know me. I, you know, I share pictures with my family with them. And I think a lot of it is, it's just a genuine interest in, in people. And maybe it's the, maybe it's the healthcare worker in me or whatever, but, um, I like to know about like people's stories and I think you can learn something from everybody. And that person who's crazy and talks about, you know, four or five ex-wives, they probably learned something that could, that, right. that, I, that I can learn from. So. And that's, that's beautiful here, man. Like, like you're, you're definitely approaching it. I think the right way. And, and mm -hmm. just those, those small things like attention to detail and, and really caring, that's going to set you yeah, apart. Definitely. 100%. I, I know that if I owned a mobile home park and I had a, Two two hour right. conversation with you, and I saw <laughs> your family. Yeah, Yo, what's up, Steve? Yeah. All right, what's I'm up? ready to sell. I'm ready. I'm not. I'm not interested in selling anybody else. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, so I love that, man. That's awesome. And I'm not looking to get over on anybody. Right. You know, I want to be. I want it to be a win win for everyone sort of deal. And if there there has been situations where people don't sell me their park, and they're gonna list it with a broker, and I'll tell them based on how I underwrite it, hey, you'd be crazy for sell for anything less than this. You know, just so they get educated and know because. I think that predatory type of people are like the worst type of human being in the world. So right. even I can provide some value to them and, uh, you know, just help those owners out to me is better than, uh, you know, than, than making a few bucks. And it'll come around. Definitely. One 100%, day. Yep. Always. Always. Definitely. Is. Anything that you want to share about your journey so far? Um, any advice you want to give to individuals that are trying to get out of their w2 <laughs> um yeah just anything you want to share open mic yeah all right um how much more time we got <laughs> whatever man we're here so so i guess i guess the advice that um a lot of people don't maybe hear enough of is whether it's real estate whether it's business whether whatever it is if you're not passionate about it and if you are not hell bent on like you know this is what gets you up in the morning this is what's exciting to you you're not going to be successful and i think it's just figuring out as an individual what's important to you you know what's the most important thing to you as an individual and what are you willing to give up and sacrifice to get that and i think that a lot of these educational things that you see on YouTube and this, that, and the other thing. A lot of a lot of that stuff is all, you know, just for for clicks and likes and dopamine hits in your brain or whatever it is. But you really need to look introspectively and you need to be okay with being vulnerable and honest with yourself about what success looks like to you, what journey do you want to go on, and what are you what are you willing to give up to get there? So I think if you can if you can figure that out, and maybe it's not real estate, maybe it's you know Silicon Valley or something, but um, you know Jeff Bezos didn't become the richest man in the world because someone forced him to start Amazon. You know, he was passionate about it. So I think that's something that I would that I would you know give advice for is just follow your passions, um, and then sort of you know what what works for one person doesn't work for someone else, and there's so many different ways to skin a cat. It's, it's, it really is even, even to take, take like a pharmaceutical approach. So, you know, there's a bunch of, everyone talks about anxiety or whatever, right? And there's a ton of antidepressants that are used to treat anxiety and two individuals, two very, very different. If you put them both in the same med, one person could have a totally different response than the other. So you kind of have to find the right med to, to, to treat both individuals and they could be completely different. And I use it as an example as a way to kind of 
point out and show that, hey, if, you know, JB, I know you're into Airbnbs and sort of thing. If that's your thing, then that's the drug that works for you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So you don't always need to, to, to go and subscribe to what the masses are telling you because I think that narrative that's already out there in society with the W-2 is, is there in a way with real estate. Um, and I think if people don't subscribe to that narrative or fall in line with it directly, they, they think they can't do it. So that would be my advice. That would be, you know, some things that I would uh, share and hopefully give some value and gold nuggets to the audience. I know yeah. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Like I have tiny object or shiny object syndrome oh, where yeah. I'm like hopping to the next thing. I have a Turo company, I'm in Airbnb, I'm in real estate, I'm in accounting, I'm doing video production, like a bunch of the different things that don't relate to each other at all. The challenge is putting them all together and, and finding what I like doing the most, right? You got, a center, so, you got a bunch of businesses that can work together and make money for yourself. Right, so, right. Yeah. Synergy is going to be key. Definitely. Man, I, uh, I really, really appreciate you, bro. Like, yeah, no personally, problem. like I love how you're able to like break down and, and be very transparent and concise. Um, but in a, in a very simplistic way where everyone can understand it, yeah. you know, like I, I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, man, it's been a blast, bro. Like, I mean, even, you know, we, we met at, at the event, yep. right. And we've had a couple conversations after that, but, uh, I, I feel like I really got to know you and, and your heart and, uh, man, that's, that's, uh, something that, that I always really, really appreciate, you know? And, and I would say that off air, on air, <laughs> like I, I really do, man. So yeah. Inspiring. Yeah, for sure. sure. You're good people, man. For sure. Well, Hey, you, you put good in, you, you get good out and just, you know, I just want to help as many people as I possibly can. So I appreciate that. And JB, I think I told you when I met you and your wife, you were, you, were, you guys remind me of Jojo and Jordan Fletcher from, from The Bachelor. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. But you guys, you're, you're awesome. And I appreciate uh, connecting and, you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, help inspire somebody along the way and help them find their why and their passions. And hopefully they crush it on their own way. So it's awesome, man. So um, I, I know that people are going to want to follow your story, your journey. How do people find, follow you? How do you, how do they find you? Yeah, so so I'm I'm a little ashamed of this, but I don't really have a very big social media network. No worries. Um, so my wife and I share a Facebook. If anybody wants to find me, it's Steve Sam Gargiulo on Facebook. But you can email me, uh, Stephen Gargiulo at yahoo.com. Spell that for for everyone. It's S T E V E N G A R G U I L O at yahoo.com. Shoot me an email. Uh, give me a call. Myself five one six. Two three two seven one six two. Give me a call. Give me a text. Shoot me an email. Questions. Pick my brain. I got people that reach out to me. Majority of the time, um, I do post a lot in like you know some MHP forums, and I get people reach out just ask me questions. So um, anything I can do to help provide value or you know help somebody save some time because I wasted a lot of time in this journey. There you go. You know, please reach out. I'd, I'd love to connect. And we're going to bring you back on when you have like 10 parks and we'll let's, talk oh, about hold on. all Ten, those let's, deals. let's start with one. Let's get one. After the first one, I'll give you a call and I'll be like, dude, I'm bankrupt. <laughs> 10 parks or 10 kids, whatever comes first. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, hopefully the parks. So, but no, definitely, definitely, definitely. Awesome, man. Really appreciate it, bro. Yeah, thank you so much. That was awesome. Yeah, appreciate you guys. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll chat again soon. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.